Welcome to This Week in MTG with your hosts, Matt Olson, JB, and Danny Oakstead. Hello and welcome, Magic Folk, to episode number 61 of This Week in MTG, your aggregate news source for all things Magic the Gathering. We are your hosts. I am Matt Olson. Over there, we got Danny Oakstead. What's up? Here we got the janky boggle, JB. Hey there. I don't know where to jump from there, so let's just do some ad rolls. I think we're all kind of scarred from a bit earlier. Maybe. Polio and llamas. Leave Carl alone. <laughs> Carl did nothing to you. He could have. He could. But he didn't. I don't know. Hand check. <laughs> okay, I'm good. So we got an episode for you. Before we jump into that, we want to thank our amazing sponsor, J Dubs Sports Cards and Gaming, located in the West Acres Mall in Fargo, North Dakota. They have loads of magic product that you could ever want, ranging from playmat sleeves. And then they have the products, the booster boxes, the booster packs, the decks, they have singles, and also on the weekends, they have modern and legacy leagues if you're interested in participating. It's done over a spell table, so links in the description down below to join in on that. Bring a modern deck, have fun. And J-Dubs also helps with getting cards graded by Beckett or PSA. You fill out a form online. Bring your cards into uh, Josh, and then he'll ship them out. I think that's pretty good. Now, to the upkeep here, real quick. I made a little a, a little special note here. Last week, we were talking about prices, and Danny was saying that uh, Euro is double of, or uh, USD is double of Euro. Did I? You did. I don't remember saying that. Dan recalls because we were asking about. Um, Dang you, Dan. We were asking about prices, so message us on Facebook and said, your exchange rate, exchange update from the UK, $7.20 euro is $6.48 pounds sterling and $8.41 in USD as of 10.50 a.m. November 4th. Boom. Bomb drop. <laughs> I just thought that was a little fun thing to put in here. This week in exchange rates. God, we're making so many. We gotta really just start monetizing on this. Like, who needs this week in MTG when you got this week in time time zones and fucking exchange rates? We're gonna be. What big. was the other one? We had another one too. Ah, we did. Guys, you gotta start writing this stuff down. I do have another colored marker. <laughs> Pet projects. Boom. <laughs> be on the lookout for these awesome new podcasts done by us. But with that said and done and out of the way, let's give you the breakdown of how this episode is going to go. We're going to talk about some event results that happened this last weekend, then talk about some upcoming events over at the Boggle Desk. From there, Danny is going to tell us if we have a BNR. We lead into the news, jump into the weekly finance section, and then close off with a deck of the week. So let's do this. We pass it over. Pass priority to JB. <laughs> I don't want your priority. Okay, so this last weekend we had the MPL League for the November Zendikar Rising. And it looks like our metagame currently for it was we had 
11 decks, Gruel Adventures. Demir Rogues took up five slots. Esper Doom Foretold took up three. Mono Green Food was two. And then we had a Singleton Is It Control, Singleton Jeskai Control, and a Singleton Mardu Doom Foretold. And with that being said, we had Ray Seto taking down first place with Gruel Adventures. Is this the new deck to beat? This is the deck that pros have been talking about using. You know, it has everything that you need in it. Of, you know, you got the uh, Bone Crusher Giants and Edgewall Innkeepers just, like, getting you value. Then, uh, uh the Beast. Questing, Lovestru- questing Lovestru- Beast. Nope, Lovestruck oh. Beast. Lovestruck. Well, there's Questing there Beast, too, I thought. Let's see. And they're in, like, no particular order. Yeah, I can see that. Looking at Ray Sato's deck. Oh, there it is. Yep. Yeah. A Singleton Questing Beast. Ha ha Yeah, there you go. I was right. And then, ooh, Brushfire Elementals. Kazandi oh, Mammoths. A good one. I remember uh, reading that Fire Prophecy was the card of choice over uh, Scorching Dragonfire because the draw, a little more important than the Exile in what they were expecting for this metagame. I suppose. Makes sense. If you're not needing to really exile anything right like in here like the worst thing the 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 matchup would be for rogues probably being able to pick things out of the graveyard with oh they don't even run the the stealing permanence rogue so oh uh no never mind that one rotated it out yeah the ninjutsu one Oh, um... Can't remember his name. Zareth Sand. Zareth Sand. So, yeah, no. No need to be exiling stuff because, you know, rogues weren't running that. No, because they're all opting for the Lurus. Yeah, the Lurus combo. Lurus interaction. I don't know. I think that's that's a little better. Right. But anyways. Okay, so then next up we have... Load, 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 load. Holy balls. Yeah, so next up we had a CFB Pro Showdown for November. First place, we had Jan Moritz Merkel playing Mardu Control. Second place was Teamer Ramp. Third place, we had Abzan Doom Foretold. Fourth place was Esper Doom Foretold. Fifth place, we had Gruel Adventures. Sixth place was Barakdos Midrange. Seventh place, we had Teamer Ramp. And eighth place, we had Gruel Adventures. Interesting, the uh, slight uh, meta diversity right? here yeah. as compared to the pros and stuff. The controls and the Doom Foretolds being up there. I mean, that in an abs and Doom Foretold, that's interesting. Yeah, the green in the abs and Doom Foretold is done by having Gilded Goose and Wicked Wolf as your ways to be like, oh, Wicked Wolf. Pr- uh, w- uh, winning on some uh, blink effects with Yorion. Right, I hate Wicked Wolf. It is a powerful thing that is like, oh, we can we can play this card again. It's so hard to remove. It is. And then uh, Trail of Crumbs as uh, one of the other green spells. But yeah, Abzan, man. Interesting list. Who was the uh, final person this time, to the say? What do you mean the final person? Don't, isn't that in the CP Oh, uh, LSV. It was? Okay. Yeah. Did they win? Uh, Doesn't say. Not in here. So how about we move to do a quick Twitter? 
Because that I forgot to prepare it for. I forgot about the end boss. LSV defended the title. Good stuff. Okay, so that, that does it for our CFB Pro Showdown. Uh, all our upcoming events, we have the Bash Bros Battles, number three, sponsored by BCW Supplies. Let's see, starts on the 15th of November. Must check in by 8.45 a.m. First round begins at 9 a.m. Format standard, Swiss plus top eight, limited to 128 players. Entry fee is free to all tiered patrons of the Bash Brothers podcast. And it's played on Arena. This one, this is one of my other uh, favorite Magic podcasts to listen to that do events. All right, I haven't listened to these guys yet. They know they're standard. And they're that's, historic. That's probably why I don't listen to them, then. It's very insightful. I don't do, I don't like standard. They're just a fun to listen to as well. Okay, so next up we have uh, the Disorganized Wizards Club Take Our Money series. So they're running another arena format here. It's going to be historic this time. Tournament structure is going to be historic. Best of three. Open deck list. Double elimination. Last player standing wins $100. Bounty prizes. Defeat a member of the Disorganized Wizards Club and you win an MTG arena code. So that's kind of cool. Let's say the date. Oh, 21st. I was going to say, uh, there's more days countdown on there than the last one was. Yep. Okay, so that's happening on the 21st. Round begins at noon. Players must check in before the start of the event. Number of rounds will be based on number of players. Announcement to be made prior to the start of round one. Looks like they want you to join the Discord. Decklist must be uploaded by noon on November 21st. Failure to do so will result in you being dropped. And then you just play your matches through. Sounds like a fun time. So this will be a historic with Keladesh. Yep, and it is also free to play. Yeah, I think it's worth it. They do they do their own commentary and stuff as well, and it's always entertaining to watch. Right, it does sound like a fun time, especially with it being historic and not standard. Yep. And then for all you singleton lovers out here, we have another Command Fest online coming. Looks like it. Damn, pop up ad, go away. <laughs> Looks like it's going to be happening on November 28th through the 29th from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Online event is free to join. Players just need to buy their Commander Legends packs from you. What? This is uh, for, this is the link to the stores. This is the, oh. yeah, this is from uh, WPN.Wizards.com. So it's directly talking to any WPN store. So, oh, okay. So, yeah, so it looks like the only requirement to join is just access to the Channel Fireball Discord. I really should join that. I haven't done that yet. You should. It's free to join. Right. I should do that. And you need a webcam setup, which I'm sure most all you have by now if you are jonesing to play Paper Magic like we have been. There's videos out there for you to go and, like, get ideas on how to do a setup. Uh, Jonathan of Spell Table really recommends microwave boxes for your setup. So if you got a microwave box, keep that. He finds it to be the perfect size for a playmat. You can put your webcam on top. There you go. Go out and buy a microwave, folks. <laughs> just so you have the box. Not for the microwave, just for the box. Well, no, the microwave's a bonus. Then you can eat pizza rolls while you're playing Magic. Ooh, ooh, this is 4D chest right here. I would have just bought it for the box. <laughs> 
So let's see, I think they had something in here. Are they doing a sealed? Uh, yes. Yeah, because it looks like there's something about players buying six Commander Legends draft boosters from the store and set it up on the webcam. So it looks like they're doing, yeah, sealed events. So that sounds like fun with Commander Legends. I'm totally down for doing some uh, Commander Sealed. Right? I think it'd be fun. Buy a box, get what? Four guys together? Do a sealed event? It's 24 packs, yeah. isn't it? Or is it 36? No, I think they're 24s, aren't they? Uh, I thought they were... In the master they're, packs? They're, they're not 36. So it's 24. Yeah, it would yeah. probably be 24 of them. So yeah, six guys, or four guys, we should do that. I mean, I've got a box coming. I still have to go buy one, but... Well, I mean, yeah, I still have to put the rest down, but I, I put the 20 down to hold it. Yeah, I didn't do that. I should have, but then I think you'll be fine because I think a lot of people are going to the getting the collector boxes and stuff like that. That well, when I, I was signing up on the list, the list for the regular draft boxes was yeah. pretty short compared to the collector boxes. And oh yeah, else. it's with this you, the collector is so worth the money. In in with this set, it's just a lot of money though. Oh, it it's what three hundred dollars? Like two forty, two fifty, I think. So about three hundred dollars. Remember, if you open Jewel Lotus, sell that fucker. Yes, sell it right away. No, they ain't gonna retain their value. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's gonna go super high. It's like, not gonna stay where it's at. I can tell you that. What, what is it at right now? Like a hundred and fifty some. Is it really? Yeah, they're. It's fucking ridiculous. There's no way they're gonna retain that value. So just dump them. Are they back down to one twenty ish? Yeah, market price has been pretty stable at uh, 128, 111. So yeah, get rid of them. You open one, sell it, make your money back. Especially the extended, I want to say the extended arts are like two something, I think. Oh yeah, yep. for sure. 213, 190. So yeah, you open one of those things up, just... just and pit, if it's a just, foil, just pitch $600. It. Just pitch it. Foil. If it's a foil, just get rid of it. Right, just pitch it. That's your early access to finance right now yep. and buy a couple more boxes and just keep cracking jeweled lotuses and flipping them except for the fact that for you to actually sell at that price you'd have to find someone willing to spend that much money well that's why you do it right now yeah that's true i don't know how many you, you but but you have to find it well yeah you, you better if, if hope you, like how you get it yeah then. if you open it yeah you, then you sell it but the thing is, you got to promise fi- it if you don't have it <laughs> the thing is is you got to find the person that is willing to spec on this card. Right. Like there's, there's, there has to be someone with deep wallet out there that's yep. like, this is a black lotus. This is going to be valuable. I'm going to snag all of them up, and then they snag all of them up. That's the person you want to sell it to because you know a casual player ain't going to buy this. I would hope, I would hope that an LGS would look at this card and be like, you know, we're not going to buy them for around that price. We're going to buy them way lower, but we're going to just kind right, of. We'll give you thirty dollars credit. <laughs> <laughs> We'll give you 5% of what it's worth. Like, don't get me wrong. Like we just said last last week, the card is good in the right deck. Just not for the current price tag. I've seen a lot of people online starting to, like, shift that mind thinking and stuff as well to where they're like, yeah, Jewel Lotus ain't, ain't, all, ain't all hyped out as it's supposed to be and stuff. And it's like, good, that a lot of people are coming down to earth. And I imagine, like, as soon as the product gets into our hands... We'll be able to see that. You know, the the price should reflect that as well. I mean, yeah, cool. It's a mythic and stuff, but the price is still going to go down as soon as the product is in our hands. 
until you until you have those people who are playing monocolor commanders that are just wrecking everyone turn one. That's a lot. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a lot of statistics though to have. No, yeah, I, I I get I get it that the turn one god hand is right very very hard to get, and I mean that can happen in any deck. Period. Oh, it I can. Mean, without jeweled lotus, it can happen. A I, lot of I, yeah, I can get my six. Six CMC commander, Nayad commander out turn four. Right. Or possibly turn three. Now imagine if you turned it to CEDH where you had access to all the, the low drop ramps and stuff as well. My deck, my commander is not CEDH. Yeah, if you tuned it for that, it would be like turn two, turn one kind of stuff with big things like that. Yeah. Jewel Lotus. It's not as hyped. Nope. Called it. Yeah, I think I think we can all like firmly stay here, state here. That we were we were not part of the the jewel lotus hype train. Nope, because it's only commander. I feel I feel we as players know better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the older generation of players. They got all butt hurt about how it's oh it's a black lotus, but it's not. Right. It states it can only be used for commander and yep. commander only. So good luck trying to use this in legacy and vintage because it's not legal. No, it's legal. You can use it. It's just pointless. Yeah, it's. Pointless. It's just a dead artifact. The same with um, Arcane Signet. I like you can play with that in. You can actually play that in standard, but there's no reason to because you don't have a commander. It's true. It's bizarre. It's biz- a bizarre world because that's something that you don't think about that often. I thought I thought the commander, since it's commander masters, basically you can only use it for commander. Nope. Or is it all nope. vintage? Vintage or and legacy. Eternals. Get that. Yep. Eternals. Okay. Yep. 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 There you go. Just like you can Food use, you can use like stuff out of the commander precons and stuff like that in Legacy and Vintage. Okay, they have access to everything, everything, everything and anything mm-hmm. except for the ban list. Exactly. Yep. But it's all banned because of them. Anyways, moving along. Yeah. Time to, to turn it over to Danny. Blog and talk of the week. <gasps> you forgot. We don't have any bans and restrictions. But oh. we could. But you we don't. don't. Know. <laughs> I Definitely. would know. We don't. We could get rid of Lotus Cobra. <laughs> I thought you don't play standard, JB. I don't, but I still hate that card. <laughs> You've been uh, been sad about it in modern there with that Omneth pile. I honestly haven't played a lot on Moto lately. Mm-hmm. I just got yelled at. I had to return my cards. I got yelled at for having them too long. <laughs> Atta boy. Yeah, I've been taking a little hiatus from online magic lately. Fair enough. That and I'm not even attempting this this month's mana traders because it's a legacy, and I am not well versed enough in legacy to even attempt that. Plus, the freaking ticks on Aether Vials went through the roof, and Giver of Runes are through the roof, so I can't even rent my deck anymore. Really? Yeah. Giver of Runes jumped up. Yeah, it's like almost fifty ticks, I think, for a playset. Woof. It's almost seventy. It's like 70 to 75 for a place that is Skyclave Apparitions. It's pretty much 100 ticks for the Aether Vials. Skyclave Apparitions. And I've only got 110 tick limit, so, I mean, I can't <laughs> I can't rent my Death and Taxes decks even in Modern anymore. It makes me mad. Hey, JB, I want to talk to you after this about a format called Penny Dreadful. It's not... So, anyway... Is it, is it on MTGO, though? Yeah, it's MTGO-based. Penny Dreadful is... What do they play it in? Popper? 
No, it's its own. It doesn't. Link. I don't see a tab. It's a, for it. It's its own format. With or is it in the? Oh, it might be in the other tab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sub format for every format. True story. Yep. Maybe I don't know. We'll find out. But anyway, I will tell you about it afterwards. Well, let's move along to the blog talk of the week for the second try. <laughs> Third try. Shut up. <laughs> this week's blog talk comes from Blueberry Bunch. Or Butch? Butch? Butch. Butch. Blueberry Butch. Sorry, I murdered your name. <laughs> they asked, do you think the next year of primary sets is going to give the party mechanic a few more legs to stand on? It's such a neat mechanic with so much potential, but from where I stand, it looks to be underperforming. I'm sorry you had to deal with me talking. Um, Mark replies back, I can promise more clerks, rogues, warriors, and wizards. Mind you, we all we already know the next three sets. Yep. So we have the Vikings. We have the wizards or magical... Strixhaven. There we go. The Harry Potter set. Yep, and then we have, I guess, um, vampires and werewolves. Nope, you're missing D and D in between. Yep, D and D. There we got the clerics and the rogues. Those are that's where they come from. Well, I mean, all of them are going to be coming from D and D like this. Yeah, you'll have. Oh, yeah, you'll for have sure. some party supplement. But I, but I mean, but I mean, the Vikings are warriors. Yep. The, the Harry Potter's wizards. Yep. Or mages, probably wizards, but because mages are D and D. Well, there's wizards in D&D, too. Is there? Yeah. Moving along to the news. Oh, the quickies of the news. We uh, fly back to Matt's desk. So first, we're going to mention about the Keladish Remastered getting released this Thursday, November 12th. Pre-orders are still going on, and you can get 10 uh, booster packs, three draft tokens, a playset of Aether Hub, and one alternative art Aether Hub, all for thirty or twenty nine ninety nine. All the cards have been released. Links down below if you're interested. And it has been confirmed. No walking ballista. Dang it. Shucks. I wanted that turn four win in mono white. I think Wizards has realized that walking ballista is a potent card. Nah. And they don't think uh, Psychotic Rift is? Right. Well, if you're referring to Commander, you got to take that up with the RC. What, didn't they reprint that in uh, one of the anthologies? Double Masters. They just reprinted Cyclonic Rift. Yeah, but um, meant on Arena. Oh, no, Cyclonic Rift and oh. on Arena. No, thought it was. Yeah, no, Cyclonic Rift isn't on Arena. If it was, Matt would be... Uh, I'd be in on that. Yeah. I'd be making any historic deck that has a Cyclonic Rift. I love that card. Blue Tron. Boom. They don't have Tron lands on Arena. Don't worry. They will. No. Watch. No. Watch. <laughs> All right, so we had some turmoil with the Eternal Weekend winner of the Vintage Series. Some stuff went down. Andreas Peterson was supposed to be the winner, but he got caught cheating. Got caught bribing an opponent to uh, concede, which is pretty shady, shady stuff. And against the rules. Mm-hmm. Very against the rules. So it looks like they moved the initial second place finisher, David Lance, is now the winner. Uh, so how it was led was uh, while live streaming, him and his opponent were talking in the Moto chats, and they were talking about a concession, and then they said, 
take it to Twitter or DM my Twitter. And so then they took it off Moto to talk about it. And typically, uh, according to the IPG 4.4 unsporting conduct bribery and wagering rule, something like that would only be a match lost. But if a player was aware that they were doing what they were doing was against the rules, the infraction is uh, unsporting conduct, which is cheating, which would lead to a disqualification. So it was found to be that. Yeah, now you talk about conceding in, in, a, in a high-level match like this, well knowing what the, the stakes are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't, like, it's good that he messed up to where he was talking on Moto and on stream. That way everybody else saw it and was like, Whoa, hold on a second there. Right. Yeah, <laughs> at least there was some corroboration to back it up. Right. And then especially with the fact that they're like, let's take it to Twitter after this and the DMs. Right. But yeah, just know. Uh, know your rules when it comes to uh, concessions and bribery. Yes. Don't ever ask your opponent to knock out for money. Don't, don't, don't pay for a win. Don't do it. Yeah. Cutting the prizes, the, the moto chests, the prize packs... Cash. Don't do it for personal gain, you know. If you're going to do it just to be a nice person, then do it. But don't do it for gain. That's the the plain and simple. So the definition, uh, I pull this up here, uh, the IPG 4.4 on sporting conduct, bribery, and wagering states, a player offers an incentive to entice an opponent into conceding, drawing, or changing the results of a match, encouraging such an offer, or accepts such an offer. Refer to section 5.2 of the Magic Tournament rules for a more detailed description of what constitutes bribery. And bribery is... What's this? Everything subject to bribery. Let's just click that link. Uh, the dis- so bribery, according to Magic, the MTR 5.2 bribery rule, the decision to drop, concede, or agree to an intentional draw cannot be made in exchange or influenced by the offer of any reward or incentive, nor may any in-game decision be influenced in this manner. Making such an offer or enticing someone into making an offer is prohibited and is considered bribery. So even trying to get better standings, even better standing, trying to get better standings uh, constitutes bribery. I mean, it makes sense, you know, like we're trying to get like a pure Dukes out luck and skill based game here. And if people start bringing in, you know, like I can see to try and get you a better record at the end, you know, not even necessarily saying that there's a, a YouTuber, no names, uh, First off, I can't remember what YouTuber it was that was talking about it, but they were talking again about the pro league members, like how many pro league members potentially do something like this. Cause you know, it's not, if it's not on someone's stream to get caught, how often is someone going to be going into someone's DMS or like if there's like some sort of unknown, uh, you know, agreements, agree, uh, agreements. According to an e-commerce bytes article, eBay has accidentally published information about a new shipping op- option it will roll out called eBay Standard Envelope that is suitable for. I thought we were gonna say it at the same time. I was counting us down. Oh, because like, we're gonna dub it over. I got scared. Okay, so on, so on three. 
ephemera. I said on three. <laughs> <laughs> JB, can you count? No. No, I can't. I only have two fingers. <laughs> oh, shit. And one toe and four teeth. Exactly. <laughs> kind of hard for me back to the article it's it's a solution for sellers who have been seeking when it's a solution sellers have been seeking when shipping lightweight items such as stamps and postcards though ebay will still restrict the categories for which it can be used it it will start with the trading cards it will start with trading cards with a total value of under twenty dollars at $0.75, cents, it's more expensive than mailing an item with a first-class $0.55 cent stamp, but it offers tracking, which is required by eBay in order for sellers to receive certain protections when claims arise. eBay described the option as the lowest-cost way to ship small, lightweight items with packaging or with tracking included. It goes on to say uh, eBay's standard envelope is more affordable than using USPS first-class packaging package service plus with the integrated tracking and shipping protection is more secure than shipping with a stamp and can help improve your seller's rating. eBay removed the page describing the new postal option on Wednesday afternoon after sellers' inquiries inquired about it during the company's weekly chat session. A member of eBay's shipping team said it had inadvertently published that page too early in its excitement to get the refresh of the shipping section in Seller's Center Live. Wow, this is hard. Words are hard, guys. Yes, they are. Mind you, we might have a shirt for sale that has that hashtag on it. (laughs) (laughs) Standard envelope is not quite ready yet, she wrote, but we'll certainly be letting sellers know when it is. In the meantime, I apologize for my mistake, for my mistake, and pull back on the spoiler alert. The forthcoming eBay standard envelope service has quite a few restrictions. Once it rolls out, it will only be available to sellers shipping raw trading cards with a total value under $20, and sellers must purchase postage through eBay labels. It also has restrictions about weight, interval size, and thickness. So you ain't selling no fucking spendy shit on no eBay with this. Because this is like a a test drive to see how this is going to be. Found this link on the Magic Financial Aid community. It was shared by Lockheed. And none of us are uh, constant sellers and stuff here. So we know jack shit about this. So in the chat, I asked, this is interesting. What does this mean for sellers? Increased profit, hopefully a more standardized way of shipping cards, i.e. an example of like, you know, what TCG Direct does. And um, Lockheed replied back, I think it means when it goes live that sellers can start making sure they send smaller packages with tracking, something that has kept uh, me away from selling cards on on eBay for the most part. Another person chimes in saying, same. It's huge. Tracking small items can literally obliterate your profit, and buyers on eBay are notoriously unwilling to pay for shipping, unless your name is uh, Preston Cody. No idea who that is. Uh, This lets you say top-rated much more easily, which gives you a break on fees that can save you thousands in the long run. So, I think this 
I think uh, sellers and stuff are looking forward to this, like starting off with a, a value price. Because imagine there's like some uh, postal insurance in, involved. That's why they can only have a value of $20 or less. But for any of our listeners out there that are into selling cards online, eBay now seems to have this potential good option coming out. It's not out yet. Uh, reminder, it was just accidentally spoiled. So keep an eye on the ground when eBay officially uh, releases standard uh, shipping. So looking over the restrictions again, um, I just find it funny that they had to note this since they have that $20 restriction that, uh, where is it? Down in the, down in the category requirements there. Yeah, maybe. Where it says total trading card value less than 20 and then shipping no more than four raw trading cards per envelope or two trading cards with top loaded. Oh, wow. So, yeah, as Matt was saying, category requirements, total trading card value less than $20, ship no more than four raw trading cards per envelope or two trading cards with top loaders and no graded trading cards. So, if you're selling a graded trading, uh, a graded card, for less than $20, what's the point of getting it graded? Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like they just put this like little caveat in here. Maybe this is one of those rules that's going to like roll over when uh, the standard starts becoming a thing because this is just seems like a testing thing. Like they don't want graded cards like uh, Power 9 or uh, any reserved list card that got graded just well, like. Get- no, my guess is the thickness. That too, because well, you yeah, look at their their quarter inch. requires and and the cases that the graded cards come in are pretty thick. So, well, they better. I, be. I think that's where that comes in. I got four raw trading cards in my hand right now, not top loaded. That is way less than any grading case. Yeah. So and the it, the thing is, it doesn't doesn't make sense. Where the envelope requirements is no thicker than a quarter of an inch. Four cards is what? Maybe maybe a sixteenth? Maybe. Not quite an eighth. I do not have to tape measure in my office. <laughs> but so like, you, you I, get, I just don't understand the requirements. It's like I, Well, it also says it can only weigh up to three ounces. So like the the weight of the plastic can definitely contribute to it, you know. Postage does get expensive after weight increases and stuff. So after that eBay information, we have some sad news to report to you guys. Only for you. Is it sad, though? I mean, I don't feel much emotion for it because I haven't played the game in like two months now. Exactly. So why are you crying? Well, it's it's just sad news to anybody, maybe. I really don't know anybody that played it. To those of you who have played Mana Strike. More than once. More than more than once, they are closing down, or they are terminating their service. On their uh, form page, it states, "Mages, from the beginning, Magic Mana Strike was a project that excited us all. Our goal was to create an amazing mobile strategy game experience that could be enjoyed by mobile gamers and Magic fans alike." It is with a heavy heart that we announce the support for Magic Mana Strike is coming to an end. February 23rd, 2021. Through all this process, the management team feels grateful for the time that we have spent together and we will cherish every moment until the very end. As of now, 
All in-app purchases for payment products will be disabled. You will be able to continue to spend gems and gold that you have already accumulated as normal. The game servers will remain open until February 23rd, 2021 at 9 p.m. Pacific time. You'll be able to continue to access and play the game as usual until this time. Afterward, the game service will no longer be available. There's a game service link or a customer service link down there if you have questions. While this is not easy news to hear, we once again thank you for the passion and support and for helping Magic Mana Strike live as long as it has. From the Magic Mana Strike management team. Yeah, no, it's a fun game. Sad to see it go, but clearly it was not getting it was not getting the the views, the use, and all that other stuff that it was getting. It wasn't it wasn't creating revenue at all. I told you because no one was playing it. Right, and I just got uh, I got uh, Preston to play it once. He's like he didn't like it. Right. <laughs> okay, so Magic tweeted the official Magic the Gathering Twitter, Twitter the twit twit bird whatever you fucking call these things. I don't know because I'm not Twitter versed, <laughs> but <laughs> they they posted because I'm sure that's what you do on Twitter, right? Or do you tweet? I don't fucking know. Tweet. I don't know. We'll go there. Okay. Anyway, they said. Fucking bird. Well, fuck that bird. I'm going to choke it out. I'm going to do shit. <laughs> Jesus <Christ. laughs> choke, wow. that, choke that chicken. Way to have a boomer mentality there, bud. <laughs> to make Chuck Norris come down here. Okay, so anyway. Magic the Gathering Twitter tweeted with the full card image gallery for Commander Legends Live. Some eagle-eyed folks have noticed with collector numbers 717 through 720 are missing. It's not an error. Late in the process, the team decided to cut extended art versions of the four unique Commander deck-only cards, in part from community feedback that players didn't want to open pre-con cards in their collector boosters. Because of the stage the set was at in development, the solution required leaving this gap. It's different from the norm, but the team felt it was the best decision for Commander Legends. As always, we welcome your feedback about this and hope this helps clear things up. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. No one... Uh, Pulling extended I'm, art of, the, of one of the pre-cons there. Uh, Legends. I mean, I think it would be cool to be able to get a blinged-out version for the pre-con if that's what you want to run. But, I mean, I, I also understand the, the flip side of it. The people that are buying these collector boosters for money, they're spending how much on these boxes and for them to open that card up instead of An something actual else. Yeah. You know? Yeah, a card. So, like, I get it. A card that's clearly going to be uh, very low in price because any card that's in one of those uh, pre-con decks, you know, the the marquee card typically is pretty low. Yep. And especially when their power level power level is not that uh, desired. I mean, currently, I'm pretty sure at some point people will start to come out with solid decks that could increase the price, but initially. So along with Commander Legends, the release notes have been released for Commander Legends. And with it, they have their general information, and then they go over some card interaction. It is a very long list. We will uh, specifically talk about draft, the Commander Draft variant, as a refresher, because this is a new thing to do. So Commander Draft combines aspects of Booster Draft and Commander. Rather than building a deck beforehand, players draft and build a Commander Draft deck as a part of the experience. Each player, each player needs three Commander Legend Booster packs to draft. All players should sit sit around the table in a random order. 
To begin, each player opens up booster packs, and that's the whole thing, except it's just like normal drafting, except you pick two cards. And then you pick two cards, and you pick two cards, you pass. Pack is done, you open it, you pick two cards, you pass to the right. And then when you have 60 cards, you make your deck. And yeah, they're allowing the, the Wizards has done a lot of things to make sure that you hedge your commanders and get all your colors so you're not going to get screwed over. Unless you suck at drafting like me. Hey, hey, what's uh what's next on the list? Uh two two key uh two abilities to just kind of like cover here, you know, I figure do our due diligence. Uh JB, want to give them a reminder of Cascade? No, I was going to go over this little tidbit. Oh, take that tidbit then because it's important. It is. It's fairly important. So in in the release notes they go over um different cards and new interactions and stuff like that. Um they go over with the Archon of Coronation. The one where when you're the monarch, damage doesn't cause you to lose life. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't get around commander damage. Because they even state in there, combat damage dealt to you by a commander is still tracked, even though it didn't cause you to lose life. So that's important to note. That's bonkers. Right. It's very important to note. You'll still take command damage. Because it's technically not life. Yes. That's why if you take commander damage, you actually also take life. Because it deals damage to you. Yep. Life loss is not the same as damage. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, we have Cascade and a new mechanic, Encore. Going to talk about Encore here. Some que- creatures. <laughs> Some creatures. So, Encore is an ability where if it's if a card with Encore is in your graveyard, you can pay a mana cost, exile this card, and then what you do is... For each opponent, create a token copy that attacks that opponent this turn if able. They gain haste, sacrifice them at the beginning of the next end step, activate only as a sorcery. So a couple things. Exiling the card with Encore is a cost to activate the ability. Once you announce that you're activating it, no player may take any actions until you have finished. They can't remove the card from your graveyard to stop you from paying its cost. It's all part of the cost. So... No one can, in respond, like, crack a Tor Mod's crypt to exile your graveyard and then get rid of your Encore card. It's like um, anything that's, like, as an additional cost, do this. Uh, village Rites, black. As an additional cost to cast a spell, sack a creature, and then you draw two cards. As a cost, you pay one and you have to sack a creature before the spell can even get cast. So that is noted. And then Cascade. Uh, when you cast a spell, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card that costs less. You may cast it without paying its mana cost. Put the exile cards at the bottom of your library in a random order. So, uh, key note with this, everybody, to, to remind, when the Cascade trigger resolves, the spell that you're casting off Cascade resolves before the spell that had Cascade resolves. So, in this instance, we're going to use... Annoyed Alisar, Altisar, Green Green 5, 6 5, Dinosaur, Reach, Trample, Cascade. So it's 7 mana, you cast it, Cascade Trigger goes on the stack, you reveal cards until you reveal a card of CMC less, then that goes on top of the stack, and then that gets cast first before the Allosaurus Rider gets cast. Not Allosaurus Rider, Annoyed <laughs> Altisar. Jesus, so many dinosaurs just going on in my head, but yeah. So that's the order. Very notable. And uh, y- also with that, uh, you cannot pay 
uh, alternative costs, you can pay additional costs. Well, I think that's a good uh, bit of news there. Ready to jump into the finance, finance then? Cha-ching! As always, for the finance section, we use the amazing site, MTG Stocks. They have a weekly article that comes out every Friday called Weekly Winners. They talk about three to five cards that have significantly gone up in price, and then three to five cards that have started to move down in price. Uh, when we record the podcast, we're recording on a Monday night, so prices may have changed. We will make notes as that happens along the way. So all these cards that have seen price increase are because of Commander. Commander's on the brain right now for everybody. So No yep. way. First card, we have Last Chance. Red, red, sorcery. I'm going to read the oracle text here of it, just to make sure. Red, red, sorcery. Take an extra turn after that one. At the beginning of that turn's end step, you lose the game. This is a card originally in Portal, but the card in question is from the starter 99 decks that has jumped up in price it's increased 174 percent now sitting at 60 dollars as of friday but today whew, still moving up average price 84 dollars market price 25 and uh, remember market price is what people are actually buying them at so they don't usually cover cards uh, in the weekly winners from introductory sets, the print of this is so low that spikes can occur when there are just a small amount of trade. But in this case, he does have something significant to report. Last Chance is winning terrain because of the new hot commander that was spoiled last week, Ubeka Brute Chron Chronologist. Chronologist. You just wanna, you just wanna be reading here, JB. No, you can, no, you speak well for both Danny and I. No, I'm good. I'm just here to help. <laughs> Obek brute chronologist. Obek brute chronologist is uh, a legend that is red, black, blue one for a three-four ogre wizard that has tap target player whose turn it is. The player. The player whose turn it is may end the turn. Uh, exile all spells and abilities from the stack. That player, the player whose turn it is, discards down to maximum hand size, damage wears off, and this turn and until end of turn effects end. With Ubeka, you can cheat your way out of any negative consequences by ending the turn before resolving all the spells. Your opponents might love to see all spells countered, resolved, and tailed, tallied, why wait if you can end things before all rules and effects are played out? Uh, who doesn't want to see a Phyrexian Dreadnought and, and the end of turn before its drawback ability gets resolved? So, yeah, this card is pairing very well in that deck, and people are clearly super hyped about it. The stop Cyclonic Rift. Yeah, if uh, somebody casts Cyclonic Rift on your turn, you tap Ubeka and all spells from the stack. Like, this is just like counter your counter on a creature for free every turn and if you well, have ways you to be tap them but yeah yeah you don't have to sink any mana into it aside from casting it as a creature you know sure. casting the creature then you could also have ways to untap which is not that hard in blue to have untappy shenanigans true so with that that's going up very well 
And another one that pairs well with Ubeka, a car that was talked about uh, a few months back, Final Fortune, Red Red Instant, the sixth edition printing of this, take another turn after this one. At the end of that turn, you lose the game. This car has moved up 493% and is now at 13 bucks and 20 cents. Uh, market price is around $7, but the average people are still selling for almost $20. Yeah, so the last time we talked about this was around Ecoria when it saw its original spike from uh, about 2 bucks to 5 to 6 Now, here we are again where it's seen even bigger, uh, an even bigger leap, pretty much for the exact same reasons as Last Chance. Finally, in the weekly winners, we have Horn of Greed, it's a three mana artifact. Whenever a player pl lays a land, that player draws a card. This is the stronghold copy of it. It has jumped up 22% and is now at $12.50. You can still find them online for $9.50 or average price has moved up, uh, selling for 14 bucks. Matt, why aren't you playing this in your uh, secret commander deck? I could. I know I just gave him a very bad reason of really? bad card to put in. But right? Why would you do that? I really. I'm, I'm trying to help a friend, even though he's screwed me over. Yeah, he doesn't. Past. He doesn't need any help with that deck. I already he's, missed out on the floor it. of this. You can get the conspiracy trick, take the crown version for cheaper. Just want to note that here for just under nine dollars. So this horn of greed. Uh, there's been other cards that have seen bigger uh, trends then Horn of Greed, but it has been a number four, number five winner for over a month and a half now. So this week, they wanted to point it out because of that. Yeah, no, this thing has been having a pretty sharp uptick since this summer uh, for Core 21. This summer is under five bucks, and here we are now coming up to 12 to $14. Uh, whenever casual EDH formats are filled with land matter decks, Horn of Greed goes up. We have Zendikar. So you're play everyone's playing lands, Drawing extra cards is good. And then it's also noted here, with Narset Parter of Veils, you can make sure that they do not draw the card. But you get to draw the card still. So it just only benefits you when you play a land with Narset Parter of the Veils because it's blue-blue. Opponents can't draw more than one card each turn. That's all the weekly winners we have. JB, you want to start us off with this cheap pickup list here? You mean the two cards? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we only have two cards this time. Uh, first up, we have the Core 21 printing of Ugin the Spirit Dragon, sitting at just under $24, $23.95. So if you're looking to get some, get in now while the getting's good. And then we also have the Aether Revolt printing of Paradox Engine, sitting at $5.17. Paradox Engine, I can't imagine. Unless some janky modern or pioneer or like i don't know where you're going to be playing this right aside from a casual you know like you know casual edh that don't follow the rule that don't follow the ban list and stuff but i mean if you always wanted a paradox engine right get them now ugin notable because this card has had a ceiling of almost 80 bucks over 80 bucks actually and uh, the Core 21 printing of it, <laughs> dancing just around that $20 range. Tron decks love this. Tron decks in Modern, 
uh, Pioneer decks, Pioneer Ramp, Standard Ramp, if you're playing Paper Standard and stuff still. But I mean, Ugin in general, just a very strong card. The Fate Reforged version as well is down to 21 bucks. But I think that's all we have in the finance section today. So if you guys are out there wanting to pick up some cards cheaper, or if you're wanting to sell cards at the most optimal point, go check out tcgsniper.com. Sign up, enter in some cards, and set the desired uh, trajectory that you want that to see that card go at. If you want to see a card like Ugin the Spirit Dragon drop down in price some more before you pick it up, you submit that into TCG Sniper, put a condition, put a price, and you will get notified when someone on TCG Player sells an Ugin at that condition and at that price. You click the link, you buy it. And the same is for if you want to see something like Horn of Greed, if you want to, you have a bunch of Horn of Greeds that you're wanting to sell, and you go on, you put in the link to that, you set that you want to get notified when there's a price increase on Near Mint Light Played at $16. As soon as Horn of Greed starts selling for $16, you get notified again, and then you can jump on and sell your Horn of Greeds at that price. It is a very, very useful website. So if you go over there, there's a special deal going on right now. If when you sign up for TCGSniper.com and you mention that the guys over at This Week in MTG sent you, you will get three months free of TCG Sniper Plus. With that, you get multiple ways of getting notified. Through text message, uh, currently you ju- uh, with just the base, you get emailed, and then you get three to five cards that you can enter in. But with Plus, you get 50 cards that you can enter in, and you get notifications through text message, email, and through Discord. Go check them out. But from there, let's talk about Deck of the Week. This week's Deck of the Week was picked by JB. Like always. (laughs) Not like always. Oh, like 90% of the time. 70 65 no yeah no yeah more like 80 like give you 75 82 and a half 76 82 and a half 75 <laughs> 87 <laughs> well I feel like we don't know how to negotiate uh, no <laughs> Well, take it away then, JB. Negotiate this deck list. I'm going to negotiate my task to Matt. (laughs) (laughs) This deck is a Pioneer deck created by user on Moxfield, Kazu. The deck is called I Spy with My Little Eye. Oh, I can see why you like this, JB. It has a deck that's proportional to your size. Little eyes. Yeah. And it's got... uh, picture of eldritch evolution that is jb one of jb's uh i don't know top five favorite cards top 10 i do like it i do like to cheat it in cheat stuff in it's good stuff so the main premise of this deck is it's one of those oops all spells that has been rising in popularity since the print of the uh, modal double face cards from zendikar rising the ones with the spells on front and the lands on back and the winning thing with this is it has the balustrate spy combo here. Well, this is balustrate spy dredge style. So let's read off them creatures. First, balustrate spy. 
one of the key pieces of the deck. Black 3 for a 2-3 vampire rogue with flying. Balustrade Spy ETBs. Target player reveals cards from the top of his or her library till they reveal a land card, then puts those cards into their graveyard. Well, you're choosing yourself. You cast this. You're milling your essentially your whole graveyard. Everything is now in your graveyard. You got to like do a little setup and stuff for this, clearly, before. But um, that's one way you feed into your graveyard to start getting a couple of these other cards, like Prized Amalgam. Black blue, one for a 3-3 zombie. When a creature enters the battlefield, if it entered from your graveyard or you cast it from your graveyard, return prize amalgam from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped at the beginning of the next end step. Then you have another card that enters to the battlefield from the graveyard. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, return silver smoke ghoul from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped feel like I didn't say his name. His name is Silver Smoot Ghoul. It is Black 2 for a 3-1 zombie vampire. Silver Smoot Ghoul also has an activated ability of Black 1, Sacrifice Him, Draw a Card. There is also Haunted Dread. Black 3 for a 2-2 zombie. When Haunted Dread enters the battlefield, you put a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying onto the battlefield. Then it has activated ability of black one, discard two cards, return haunted dead from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And one of the other ways to, or other things to be doing from your graveyard, having things from your graveyard be effective. There we go. Those words, maybe. World Spine Worm. It is green, 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 eight for a 15-15 worm with trample. When Worldspine Worm dies, put three 5-5 green creature token, worm creature tokens with trample onto the battlefield. When Worldspine Worm is put into a graveyard from anywhere, shuffle it into its owner's library. Oh yeah, that's what it does. Whoops. Forgot about that. So, this is the way you never deck yourself. So, two cards. The one card that fills up your graveyard, Balustrade Spy. Here's another card that fills up your graveyard, Undercity Informer. Black 2 for a 2-3 human rogue. You pay 1, sack a creature. Target player reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a land, and then they put it, put those cards into their graveyard. So you're milling yourself. Again, like you get Undercity Informer, Balustrade Spy for 4 mana. Like your grave, your whole library is in your graveyard at that point. And you can start doing these uh, creature shenanigan, shenaniganeries here. To top off the creatures, there are two ramping creatures with Sylvan Carrieted, green one for an O3 plant defender hexproof. Tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And then Tangled Florahedron, green red, green one for a 1 1 elemental. Tap, add green. Uh, that one is a MDFC, a modal double face card, where on the back end, it's a green land that enters the battlefield tapped. And some more of those MDFCs, there is Agidim's Awakening. It's a four of in here. Return from your graveyard. It's black, 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 X, sorcery. Return from your graveyard to the battlefield. Any number of target creature cards that each have different converted mana costs, X or less. It's four of those. Four Balaged Recoveries. Green two, sorcery. Return a card from your graveyard to your hand. And it's an MDFC, which enters the battle. Uh, so the back end you can play it for a land, and it enters the battlefield tapped and can tap for green. I uh, forgot to mention, with Adjidim's Awakening, that's also an MDFC. 
If you choose to have it play as a land, it can enter tapped or untapped if you decide to take 3 damage to have it enter untapped. Next up on the MDFC list, we have Turn Timber Symbiosis. Green, green, green for sorcery. Look at the top 7 cards of your library. You may put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield. If that card had a converted mana cost 3 or less, it enters with an additional 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. Put the rest at the bottom of your library in a random order. This is also an MDFC, so you can play it as a land and it either enters tapped or you can pay 3 life to make it enter untapped. And the one of the final MDFCs here that can enter tapped or untapped is Seagate Restoration. For blue, blue, blue 4, you get a sorcery. Draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand plus 1. You have no max hand size for the rest of the game. This as well, you can play it on the back end, and it can be a blue mana that enters tapped or untapped if you pay 3 life. Next up on the MDFC cards. So, before we keep going here, you're, these, these are your lands. You're playing these as lands like 90% of the time. That way you can have lands to cast your spells, and then just mill yourself out since you don't actually have lands. Uh, next one, Palaka Predation. Two black for sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a card from it with converted mana cost three or greater. That player discards that card. And then the final MDFC, or Palakia's Predation. It, if you play it on the back end, it's it enters as tapped black mana. Now the final one, Hagra's Mauling. Black, black, two, instant. This spell costs one less to cast if an opponent controls no basic lands. Destroy target creature. And it's an MDFC, so it enters the battlefield tapped and it produces black if you play it on the back end. So that's all your, you know, quote-unquote lands that you're going to be playing here. It's kind of slow uh, in the beginning, but, you know, you get turn to Tanglewood, uh, Florahedron, or Karyatid to help you ramp and get your colors and stuff to help get to Undercity Informer or Balustrade Spy, the better. No, you turn two Mana Dork into turn three Eldritch Evolution. Ah, we do have Eldritch Evolution. Wait, where? Right there. Oh my god, it's between those two cards. Jesus. So Eldritch Evolution, it's a two of in this deck. That is green, green, one, as an additional cost to cast Eldritch Evolution, sack a creature, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less, where X is two plus the sacrifice creature's converted mana cost, put that card onto the battlefield, and shuffle your library, exile Eldritch Evolution. You also can't forget about the full playset of Creeping Chills, too. When you're milling yourself, you're knocking in Creeping Chills for up to 12 damage. Yeah, with Balustrade Spy or Undercity Informer, that's just straight, your opponent loses 12, you gain 12. That life point swing is super important. Uh, Creeping Chill is black three sorcery. Creeping Chill deals three damage to each opponent and you gain three life. When Creeping Chill is put into your graveyard from your library, you may exile it. If you do, Creeping Chill deals three damage to each opponent and you gain three life. This is a card you really, 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 really do not want to draw. Nope. Because it gets most of its value from, you know, being milled with a Balustrade Spy, or an Undercity Informer. And then it also has four copies of Thoughtseize, which is Black Sorcery. Target player reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. 
that player discards that card, you lose two life. You use this to, you know, make sure that your opponent doesn't have responses before you start comboing off here. You know, you pick out their counter spell, their removal spell, any interaction that they have to throw you off. And then the final one in this deck, which is kind of spicy, Driven to Despair. It is a uh, dual card with Aftermath. The, the first half is green one, sorcery, driven. Until end of turn, creatures you control gain trample, and whenever this creature deals damage to a player, draw a card. And then Despair, which is the Aftermath, so you can only play this from your graveyard. Until end of turn, creatures you control gain menace and have whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card. So you're really hoping to get this into the graveyard. You really don't want to be casting the driven half. You want to be casting the despair half to give your guys menace so that way you can be swinging in for all the damage that you can, typically unimpeded. Yeah, so I'm very, like, this seems to be the kind of deck that has to go off on turn turn four you'd have five mana so you could uh the the ideal board condition is you have three mana out and or you have four mana out and one of the mana dorks the sylvan caryatid or the florhedron you have an eldritch evolution in hand which is really bizarre if you really want eldritch evolution you think that that would be a four of but have eldritch evolution and one of those two mana dorks you tap, cast the Eldritch Evolution for three. You have two mana open. Sack one of the dorks. Grab a Balustrade Spy. Mill yourself. Haunted Dead gets to the graveyard. You activate the ability of discarding two cards. Return Haunted Dead from your graveyard to the battlefield. And then that triggers Silver... Oh, that only triggers Prize Amalgam. Brings all four prize amalgams back. You have to gain some life. But that's where the creeping chills come in. You're milling yourself. Oh, You're going to yep. hit creeping chills, yep. which is going to trigger your silver smoke ghoul. I forgot about creeping chills. Yep. So silver smoke and all that's coming in in that play. So you're getting uh, nine, no, not nine, 12, 24 points of damage on the board, 26 points of damage with just your creatures right there on the board, and your opponent lost 12 and you gained 12. Like next turn they got to have some sort of like exiling board wipe. Otherwise, you know, you just haunted dead again. You don't have the creeping chills, but that's where, you know, the thought seizes and stuff come in to, you know, pick out those board wipes, those interactions. This actually is very, a very intense looking deck. A lot more intricacies and stuff in here. It really does look like Almost all of the lands, all the um, the MDFCs are just to be used for land, except really the probably the Felahedron. It's not often you're going to want to be using Atchidem's Awakening or the Turn Timber Symbiosis Seagate Restoration. You're never going to have enough mana for the Seagate Restoration, so you ain't casting that. It's just it's just ways so you can make sure that you hit your land drops. Want to cover the sideboard there, JB? I suppose I can. Since Danny's playing baseball. <laughs> Him and his candy crushing. His ball busting? <laughs> <laughs> like Chuck Norris. Kicking Indiana Jones. <laughs> okay, so in the sideboard we have four assassins trophy. Green and a black. Instant speed, destroy target, permanent. 
an opponent controls, its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle their library. Got duress, four of, single black sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-creature, non-land card from that, and that player discards that card. And then you got a four of Leyline of Sanctity, one of my personal favorite cards. Uh, two white white. You get an enchantment if it's in your opening hand. You begin the game with it on the battlefield, and you have hexproof. So that's gonna stop any of those direct combos coming at you. Got a single Narcomebia, which is well, a little interesting, I guess. There's only a single one, and it's in the sideboard. Um, and then you have a two of natural state. Single green instant, destroy target artifact or enchantment with converted mana cost three or less. I'm trying to think the Narc Amoeba. Maybe it's for really trying to push through that last bit of damage. Having that evasion could be important. Maybe. Yeah. Well, anyways, like Leyline of Sanctity, yeah, it just stops you from getting your stuff wrecked because any like eight rack style deck or uh, taxes, tax style deck. You're screwed. Path of Exile really screws this deck up too. So being able to pull that out with having extra duresses and stuff, make sure your creatures don't get exiled. But I can see why you picked this, JB. This deck looks very fun, very intriguing. Overall, the whole price of the deck is $298.76. Which is not that bad. Nah. Uh, Let's see. A lot of the price comes from a lot of the new MDFCs, uh, Agedem's Awakening, Turntaber Symbiosis, Seagate Restoration. They're all 10 or more bucks. Yep, all the Mythics. Yep. And then your Thought Seizes. Thought Seizes, yep, because that's uh, another play set that's $12.40. Everything else is sub-10. Worldspine Worm, having two of those is uh, $7, so... But it's a way just to make sure you don't get decked yourself because, you know, you mill these and they go back into your library so you're guaranteed those extra turns. This one's kind of a key piece to have. I mean, as are the MDFCs, this is just one of those bullets that you got to bite. So now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but with the whole Guy's Blessing interaction, okay, if you were to have Guy's Blessing in here and it hits the graveyard, would you still get any of your creature triggers? Before Guy's Blessing's trigger resolves. Okay, so Guy's Blessing. Because as you're milling. Green 1 Sorcery. Target player shuffles up to three cards from their library into their graveyard. Draw a card. When Guy's Blessing is put into the graveyard from your library, shuffle your graveyard into your library. Okay, so if you gotta. So you're saying like if Balustrade Spy mills your graveyard Mm -hmm. and this gets milled midway through, what happens? Well, the Balustrade Spy, I'm not... Yeah, are I'm you not, still going to get your creature triggers onto the battlefield? For things like Prize Amalgam? Yeah, like Prize Amalgam, Silver Smolt. Okay, so Balustrade mills you, you hit this, it goes on the stack, you finish milling. This... But would, would everything before that then resolve? No, because Balustrade has to fully resolve. Okay, so everything gets milled. Yep, everything gets milled. Guy's blessing is then put on the stack. Uh, please correct me if I'm so wrong, you would, but this is my understanding of it. So with multiple triggers, you get to order them, don't you? Yes. Yeah. So let's see how. So you could technically order it with Guy's blessing on the bottom. Yeah, you could hold priority, activate Hunted Dead, Haunted Dead, or 
you don't even need to do that. Like you then yeah, because if you're milling hit the creeping silver chills, smoke. the creeping chills are going to activate your silver smote. But silver smote is at the end of your turn. Gaia's blessing would resolve oh, then and there, and the same with prize amalgam. So the best that you could do is get your haunted dead back from so, your graveyard. Yeah, so never mind then that totally nerfs that because I was just wondering about that. Yep. Yeah, because they're both a, end of turn. As a you know, replacement for the world spine worm, but yeah, that totally defeats the purpose then if those come in at end of turn. Yep. Yeah, I can't think like yeah. There's no uh when it hits the graveyard, shuffle it back in that I can think of off the top of my head. Right. That's yeah, in Pioneer. That's Guy's Blessing was the first one that popped up in my mind and that's so I was wondering how that worked with it. Well I know there's the Eldrazi, but those aren't Pioneer legal. Like the uh Cosmic Butcher of Truth, Ulamog, the not the Ceaseless Hunger, uh Infinite Gyre. I thought some of them were yeah, uh, ceaseless hunger, dis- uh, Kozilek distortion, and Emrakul the Promise End. Not not the original printings from Zendikar. Oh. The ones that shuffle in and are uh, have annihilator. But I do think it's super spicy to have despair in there to help push that damage through. Right, <laughs> that is interesting. JB, would you make this deck? Maybe. I've seriously thought about building Dredge at one point. Yeah, this is uh, Pioneer Dredge. Well. There you have it, folks. Deck of the Week is done. You have made it to the end of another episode of This Week in MTG. Thank you, Magic Folk, for making it all here. You are truly legendary for doing that. As always, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and on Discord, where we do cool things, make posts, and have news and stuff, news posts that we may have over, we didn't cover in the podcast. Uh, We live stream the podcast every Monday night, so please join that and come in and hang with us. If you guys have questions, comments, concerns, feedback of any kind, you can hit us up on any of those platforms, or you can send us an email at thisweekinmtg at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe so that way you don't miss an episode when it becomes live every Tuesday. And with that, bye. Bye. Bye.